We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Dorowski, and this week I'm joined by returning guest Sarah Santana to discuss Sophie from the 2004 film Howl's Moving Castle. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me again. Very glad to have you back on, and hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Now, this was a film that specifically you requested, Sarah, so... um, if you know before we dive into it in any depth do you want to share why this this particular film is is one that you wanted to talk about on the podcast you know it's funny because um you guys have done miyazaki films before um and a lot of people know you know spirited away and like my neighbor totoro but i don't feel like Hal's moving castle gets enough uh credit and it's not only my favorite miyazaki film it's just one of my favorite films period um i just think it's a great story and i think a lot of people don't also know that it's like based off of a book series um so there's just a lot to like you know digest when you watch this movie i had not seen this particular film until uh prepping for the podcast uh this week and i quite enjoyed it i've seen obviously several other miyazakis i think the miyazaki i've seen the most is probably totoro because my daughter had a big totoro phase right Uh, (laughs) But uh, I don't think we've talked about that one yet. But uh, after that, it would probably be Spirited Away. So the, like, you, those are kind of the big ones that right. I'm most familiar with. Um, I know my brother, John, who's been a guest several times on the podcast. He's a huge Miyazaki fan, and he has recommended it several times. I just never got around to it. Um, I'm glad that I did. <laughs> I'm glad that we had a chance <laughs> to talk about it right. today. Um, for any listeners who are uh, less familiar with this one, Howl's Moving Castle is a 2004 animated film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. As Sarah noted, it is an adaptation, from what I understand, kind of a loose adaptation of a novel by Diana Wynne-Jones. Um, and in the English language dubbing for the film, or which is what I watched, Sophie is voiced by Gene Simmons and Emily Mortimer. There's two different kind of ages that Sophie is in the film. So they had different voice actresses for those. And Howl is voiced by Christian Bale. And Calcifer the Fire Demon is voiced by Billy Crystal. And uh, this film tells the story of a girl who gets cursed and then wanders off to find a cure and ends up in a walking castle. And I, I think that about sums it up right um, <laughs> it, it's uh definitely has um some of the 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 best kind of surrealism <laughs> you know a surreal feel to everything oh yeah definitely 
uh, like when I get to the plot summary, I've only seen the film once. Often when I when I'm able to, I like to watch the TV shows or movies twice uh, for the podcast. Sure. I wasn't able to do it for this one. You've clearly seen it more. So when we get to the plot summary, if there's points where I just got to say something happens and I missed the reason why something happens, feel free to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. I did feel like there were some things that were just happening. I never was like really bothered by it. But when I'm writing the summary, I'm like, was there a real like set up to this or did it just kind of happen and it's fine uh i was definitely carried away in the film so uh, that's not a yeah there's a lot to unpack in the film so there are parts where you kind of have to watch it multiple times to go like oh i think i get it now like i think i get that particular part you know okay (laughs) um as we noted the film is based on that novel which was first published in 1986 um my understanding is that there's several more plot lines i just saw a quick like wikipedia discussion of some of the differences and it um, I did also read that um, Miyazaki took a copy of the film to the author of that novel in England and showed her a cut of it. And she she was charmed by it, even though there are obviously plots that get dropped in the transition from a novel yeah. to, to, to a mm-hmm. Um, It has an 87% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is solid. So well done, Miyazaki. I assume most <laughs> of his are certified fresh. Right. <laughs> um, and it was nominated for Best Animated Feature. Uh, do you know what it lost to? It did not win that year. If you if you I look was at looking this, at notes, Wallace and Gromit. Like I love those those ones. Like especially those like original like three short ones that they did in the beginning. But that just blows my mind. <laughs> like yeah, the Curse just, of the Were Rabbit, which uh, is for me, I don't even I mean, remember that movie. Yeah, it's not my favorite Wallace and Gromit. I I adore the early shorts and right. Um, uh, yeah, but that one that was not my favorite. But it uh, it defeated House Moving Castle for Best Animated Feature uh, the year they were both up. Um, this is one of the most financially successful film in Japan's box office history. Um, it had earned 195 million at Japan's box office and then another 45 million at the worldwide box office. And I think I saw that the, or at least, uh, when, when the trivia was put together that I was looking at, it was number three in Japan's box office behind spirited away. So, okay. Yeah. And Titanic, which again, that one kind of took over the world for a while. There. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Plus Japanese, they, they tend to like the big, like big, big films. They really get into those ones. Uh, but uh you know well done by Miyazaki for having two of the top three spots there right um and then the last bit of trivia when uh you were saying that you wanted to do this at some point in our conversation as we were talking about the stuff to cover you told me that you have a tattoo from one of the characters uh from yes the, from the I do yeah so uh god probably almost like five years ago now I got a tattoo of Calcifer which is the fire demon in the uh movie played by billy crystal and uh yeah he's just little flame on my on my leg and um i've been wanting a house moving castle tattoo for a while i said it's one of my favorite if not my absolute favorite movies and i thought about getting the castle but i mean you've seen the movie that castle is it's a little intense and getting a tattoo of that seemed a little over the top so I think yeah. that would take several sessions. Right. And I was like, I don't know if I trust anybody to do that. Like, that's that's a lot. So Calcifer was the, the next the next idea I had. And then, I, I mean, I guess also spoiler, but which version of the castle would you have chosen? I, we, we can talk about that at the end. But. I mean, I think the original. Uh, like the, the, the first one. Yeah, like the, uh, the one that, you know, like at the end is really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just you have to have some some love for that first castle, even though it's you know kind of a mess. <laughs> it's it's a right kind of mess, though. <laughs> right? 
All right. Well, listeners, before I give you the full summary of this movie, I would like to thank you for joining us and for listening to this episode. And I would especially like to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support the show financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. I saw that we picked up another one uh, recently at that level, and it is very much appreciated. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down new movies or trailers or new TV shows or books uh, that we're we're, watching. watching or reading and we also give regular updates on our fantasy box office we try and get those out monthly for our listeners and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss so without further ado here is the full summary of how's moving castle and again sarah feel free to jump in if i left anything out that you feel is is sounds good i can do that So uh, Sophie is our main character. She's a young woman who works at a hat shop where not much seems to happen. Uh, She's going off to visit her sister, wandering through the city, when some soldiers start to harass her, and a wizard named Hal enigmatically and magically intervenes to protect her. Um, Hal tells Sophie not to be alarmed, but he's being followed, and then weird shadowy oil creatures start hunting them, and Hal flies Sophie out of that danger. So he, in saving her from one danger, he kind of introduced her to a much more supernatural danger just by. Yeah. It was, it was like, did you really save her? (laughs) Yes. Uh, the evil witch of the waste finds Sophie and curses her so that Sophie becomes a very old woman, but she cannot talk about the curse to anyone. So now suddenly this young woman is old and she can't explain why, uh, to anyone because she can't talk about what happened to her. Sophie decides to go find a cure for herself and walks out into the country. Sophie meets a mute, but very active scarecrow that she names turnip head and not active like, um, Wizard of Oz, active, like he's he's got a still face that's made out of a turnip, <laughs> a head out of a turnip. He's got his arms stretched out, but he hops, he hops along, and he he guides her to a giant walking castle, and not like medieval European castle, like steampunk hodgepodge, odds and ends smashed together, uh, different style castle, which and which like with legs. Just I read the book first, and so when I read the book, I pictured like moats and like tower castle, like on you know legs. And so when I watched the movie, it was like that is not what I had pictured in the slightest. But I was like, it works, it works, but <laughs> yeah. not at all what I had pictured. It is a really wonderful design that they settled on for for the film. Um, so even if you haven't seen the film, you should at least go Google Howl's Moving Castle and see what <laughs> I, I'm sure my word picture didn't really <laughs> nail the aesthetics. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm still getting over a little cold. Uh, so I apologize for any coughing here. Uh, Sophie goes into the walking castle where she meets a fire demon named Calcifer who can tell that she's been cursed and he offers to help break her curse. If she can help Calcifer be freed of the spell, which keeps him powering the castle. And there's definitely some bond between Calcifer and Hal who owns this castle. He's the, he's the master of the castle, but the bond isn't really explained. She also meets a young boy named Markle. Is that how it was pronounced? Yeah, that's Markle? exactly right. Yeah. I remember her. Okay. Yeah. It's M A R K L when I was looking it up and I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah. Markle. <laughs> yeah, and Markle is Hal's precocious apprentice. Um, he's not going to get a lot of time in this summary because he's, he's fairly minor, but he's wonderful to see it on film. Just the kind of matter of fact youth oh, voice yeah, that he has is so great. And uh, Sophie, uh, Sophie announces that she is going to be the new cleaning lady for this castle, which very much needs one. The outside was hodgepodge. The inside is just a dusty mess. 
Uh, the country where Sophie lives is at war with a neighboring country because that country's prince has gone missing. And the king of Sophie's country has asked magic users like Hal to come to the castle to discuss the war effort and how they can help, it seems. Hal doesn't want to go. Uh, he kind of throws a tantrum about the situation and he suggests that Sophie go and pretend to be Hal's mother. And Hal gives Sophie a ring, which will keep her magically connected to Calcifer. On the way to the castle, Sophie runs into the witch who cursed her. And this witch has also been summoned. And Sophie sees a small dog that she believes is Hal transformed to keep an eye on her. And so, so she thinks Hal's just coming along too. And so she carries this dog with her as she enters the palace, which is going up a lot of steps. And everyone, uh, Sophie, the dog, and the Witch of the Waste struggle a lot with the, the steps. But the Witch of the Waste struggles the most. And when she gets into the castle, she throws herself onto the first chair she sees, which is a trap. There is a Madame Solomon, who is the king's advisor, and she drains the Witch of the Waste energy. Once she's in this chair, these lights turn on, these mirrors are in play, something magical and bright is happening, and it drains the Witch of the Waste of her powers. And the Witch of the Waste had been a large but kind of young woman, and she becomes a very old woman. She's showing her actual age, which she'd kind of mag magically been holding at bay. And Solomon reveals to Sophie that the dog that Sophie thought was Howl really does belong to Solomon. And she sent the dog to keep an eye on Sophie. And Solomon threatens Howl with the same fate that befell the Witch of the Waste if, if he comes. And Sophie argues for Howl's safety. While she's doing that, we see flashes of her true young self uh, being seen through the spell that she's under. And then Howl comes to the castle uh, under in a disguise that doesn't fool anyone. <laughs> And he gets Sophie out of there with some ingenuity. Uh, Hal, Sophie, the Witch of the Waste, and the dog all escape. So now there's like this new <laughs> fellowship of adventurers that has happened. Uh, Sophie learns that Hal transforms into a bird form to try and interfere with the war. And so like a lot of the war is actually air, fair, air warfare, where there's the ships that go and they drop bombs. And he turns into this bird form to catch the bombs and move them away, prevent damage. Um, and, but he's having trouble regaining his human form after he does this. Now, Hal's castle has a magical door, which he links to Sophie's home and to the city where she was growing up. And when the war reaches Sophie's town, Hal transforms into a bird to try and protect his friends in the moving castle. So they, because of this door, they kind of, <laughs> both, but neither. I don't know. Um, it, in the movie castle, uh, Sophie takes Calcifer she scoops him up. So Calcifer is this fire demon that lives in the hearth inside of uh, the castle. And he powers the, the walking castle that way. And she scoops him up uh, with, you know, a, a shovel uh, and takes him out of the castle, which makes the castle fall, fall apart. Um, and then she runs back inside and puts him back in the hearth and feeds him more wood and tells him to start walking. And now like a smaller, <laughs> more compact kind of a Marie Kondo version of Hal's castle um, rises up from that wreckage. And start, starts walking. And the Witch of the waste, waste, she looks at this, and she, she's looking at Calcifer, and she realizes Calcifer has Hal's heart. And she reaches into the fire to take it. She kind of starts on fire. Uh, Sophie throws water on them, which puts, puts Calcifer out, and the Witch of the Waste is still holding on to Hal's heart. The walking castle falls apart, because again, Calcifer is powering all of this. And Sophie falls down a cliff and is kind of separated from everyone else. Now, Sophie, if you remember, she was given that ring this ring starts to glow and she realizes that means Calcifer must still be alive. And she follows the light the ring is giving, which sends her into a vision of the past. In this vision of the past, she sees Hal catch a falling star, which is actually Calcifer. And, and uh, Hal gives Calcifer his heart. And 
Sophie yells at young Hal to find her in the future because she now knows how to fix him. And when she wakes up, she finds Hal's bird form and he flies her to the castle where the witch of the waste is still holding Hal's heart. So he takes the heart, separates the spark of calcifer from it. And again, I might be getting some of the details here wrong. It all kind of works. Uh, but the, the logistics of every beat of this so I might got be it. off on in this summary. And she returns the heart. Okay. She, she returns the heart to Hal, which is both physically his heart, <laughs> but not because it's kind of just an orb sort of situation. But she returns that to Hal. And um, everyone, this whole group, is kind of on uh, this big flat board that fell out of the castle. And right when Hal kind of is getting his heart back, the board tips and they all go down like uh, down a steep cliff. Like they're sledding down this very steep cliff and they're going towards the edge. And then turn up head, the scarecrow jumps in front of the board and like drives his pole into the ground to save them. This breaks the pole several times, but he keeps pounding his pole back into the ground and it does stop them from falling to their deaths and sophie thanks turnip head for saving them and gives gives the scarecrow a kiss and this breaks a curse and turnip head transforms into the missing prince uh which is the original cause of the war that's been going on and this prince says he was cursed into becoming a scarecrow and the witch of the way says the only only thing that can break that kind of curse is true love's kiss and he says yes but then they look and and the witch of the way says well i'm sorry but your true love is in love with someone else because Sophie is making eyes at <laughs> Howl, uh, who is is recovering and clearly in love with him. Uh, and and the prince kind of says, <laughs> just says yeah, oh, well. <laughs> and then uh, Sullivan, who is uh, the woman who stole the Witch of the Waste's power, uh, seems to kind of be an advisor who, who was summoning all the magic people so she could steal their power. She watches all of this through a crystal ball because her dog is there and she has a connection with the dog. And she sees all this happen and she says, well, the game is over. It's time to end this war. And then we see like uh, this visual epilogue where the warships fly away and there's a new flying castle instead of a walking castle. It's flying with Sophie, Hal, uh, the Witch of the Waste, uh, and um, oh, what was the boy's name? Uh, Markle. Markle and, and the dog. Uh, so they're all flying through this very pastoral now image of the sky. Now, originally the, the castle, it was very steampunk and very industrial looking. And this new version is much more um, like blending technology and nature. Like there's, there's trees growing on it. There's a field on the ship. Uh, and that is our final shot as uh, Sophie and Hal kiss and then sail off into the sunset. The end. Nice job. Thank you. It was, um, like I said, it's a surreal story. It's, it's funny, when, like, you doing that, like, the summary, I'm sitting here going, like, I swear this movie sounds kind of crazy, but it's so good. <laughs> but it sounds, yeah. like, when you try to explain what's happening in it, it sounds crazy. <laughs> and I want to say, I was completely swept along with the story. And none of the weirdness that I found when I was trying to write the summary, I didn't feel that when I was watching right. it. Somehow, with Miyazaki's storytelling and the art style and and even the dubbed language performances, which I thought were very good, yeah. um, like I, I just kind of got carried along. And I the, the weirdness is all there, but it's not like an off-putting weirdness. No. It's just part of what this world is. Yeah, so when you when you watch it, you don't think about it. It's just <laughs> saying it out loud is a little like, God, yeah, wow. There are a couple things in there that you just kind of they look pretty, so you just kind of go past them. But yeah. Oh, and this has some of my favorite Miyazaki animation moments. I have to yeah. say, I've watched several Miyazaki films, and this has a few moments where it's like, oh, that was really well done. Yeah. Um, 
there's one when uh when Hal and Sophie are escaping some of the oily blob people where it's just like mm, that that was top notch animation. Yeah. Uh, he had a big and- hand in this one. I mean like over the years, I mean he's he's directed a lot of them, he's written a lot of them, but kind of, you know, the last maybe 10 or so years he's you know, not as much as he used to cuz he's getting older, but this one he had like two hands a foot like he was all on in in on this one. So it's it's honestly like I said, it's one of the best ones I think he's done. So I um when I was writing the summary, I got to the end. There were a couple questions that I had mm-hmm. where it's like, what's that explained? And again, you've seen this more, so maybe it was explained, I missed it. It seems implied that uh the evil king advisor Solomon, right? Yeah. Is the name. Uh that she may have bewitched the prince into becoming a a scarecrow, but I don't know if I'm just trying to find a reason for that or if it was just it never is really explained. Like it's just kind of okay. like I mean it's like you said, especially then where it's like, okay, true love's kiss broke his curse, but his true love is already in love and and he's like, I'm gonna go stop this war, but I'm gonna be back. So it's gonna be cool. And it's it's a very weird like part of that story. Like it's definitely part of it because he's the reason that the war starts in the, the first place, but yet there's never really an answer for that. And I've always kind of wondered that. I've always assumed it was Solomon. Okay. And I assume that Solomon did it to get the war going. And then she was going to have the king summon all the magic users. And somehow siphoning their power was going to empower her. Right. Right. That was my, my thought, but none of that is really explicitly laid out as far as like, Oh, here's a monologue explaining the evil villains plan. And it's funny because it's a huge backdrop, like in the movie, you know, the war and the missing prince and this whole thing. But it because there's so little answers about it, it doesn't seem like it's really the main like plot, even though like it feels like it should be. Yeah. And then the other one, when I was writing in the summary, I was just kind of like, why did Sophie have to take Calcifer out of the moving castle and then put him back into it? to get the smaller So one. with that one, they're they're in the house and he's keeping the house uh-huh. safe so that no one can find them. Okay. But when they open the window, when um the witch of the waste is is smoking the cigar and they're like open the window, it smells awful in here. That like it like it breaks that. the protection and so now they can find them. Oh. And so like okay. really the only like way to like to, to it's like Yeah, it was here. it was basically like okay, they're tracking us, they know where we are. The only way to do that is to just start over like take him out and put it back in you know and so that's kind of why okay. they did that all right no that that makes perfect sense once yeah. you explain i mean in the sense of this world <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay uh well thank you for clarifying yeah no of- problem <laughs> um so i want to talk about sophie first and then i, I do want to touch on some of these other characters because even small characters are really fun absolutely and, um they, they all have moments that kind of stand out. Um, but Sophie, I think, has the most transformation that happens. I mean, obviously, there's a physical curse yeah, transformation. Right. <laughs> she, she's on the character arc. She has a, a journey from point A to B, whereas Hal is, I mean, he gets his heart back, but he's just kind of Hal the whole yeah. time. And Markle's just kind of Markle. I guess the the Witch of the Waste uh, also has some transformations. So maybe those those two we should talk about first. Um, but if you're going to try and summarize Sophie's character, what are some of the words you might use, Sarah? I think, I mean, it depends. Because, I mean, she starts off so meek and so, like, she doesn't see anything in herself whatsoever. She's normal. She's boring. She blends in, um, you know, and, and, and 
she just runs she runs the hat shop but she doesn't really care from much for it her sister is you know super pretty super popular you know has you know what looks like a much much better job than her and i think so she starts off just kind of there but the more that we get through the story like she's just she's funny and she's quirky and she's so smart and like it's only once she stops putting like like okay i'm old there's no pressure on me anymore like it doesn't matter that's when she like actually blossoms into the person that she's always been but didn't like see before yeah in some ways it feels like the early sophie was an old soul who didn't know how to act in her body and when she got cursed to be old she's just like whatever i'm this is me now. right <laughs> she just owns it um and so all those traits that we see like you said blossoming i think is the word you use yeah they were there she was just kind of hiding them because she wasn't right. comfortable as the young woman um and i think one of my favorite lines that just stood out to me and uh like i watched it once and then i was like double checking for a few parts when i was writing the summary and and i heard the line again I'm like oh that is a really interesting line when she first gets cursed and goes from being like probably what like an 18 year old yeah. you know it's kind of what i what i see uh to this like very very old woman probably octogenarian right um she says well at least my clothes fit me now yeah like, like, at, like least, my, at least your clothes suit me yeah <laughs> That's what yeah, like she was dressing like an older person, not as like a young, uh, a young right. woman. <laughs> um, and, and I thought that was just such a great line that kind of said a lot about who she was and also explained why she had more confidence as this older version of herself. And then like, I didn't, at one point I was like, I should put in all of them. But then I was like, oh, I can't like the, the way the curse works really starts to break down and like there's a lot of different versions of Sophie oh, yeah. that we see. Oh yeah, like the back the back <laughs> I mean you get the really, really, really old Sophie and then like the kind of old Sophie and then like super young so like so like it, it's definitely like this but like with white hair. Yeah. Like, the hair color keeps changing too. <laughs> yeah. Um there's definitely a chameleon like aspect that the character takes yeah. on as the curse is breaking down towards the end. And it's never really explicitly laid out, I guess as far as like the plot, what it is that breaks the no. curse. Is it? No, I mean, there's definitely, just, like, theories that people have, you know, and kind of um, what they think happened, but there's not, like, a concrete, like, answer of, of you know, what actually does it. A lot of people, the biggest, like, theory is that, you know, it's her own confidence, and it's her own, like, the the more that she's confident in herself, the more that she is herself. Um, and you can kind of see that, like, when she's standing up to, like, Madame Solomon, and she goes from being super mm -hmm. old to super young. And then the second that she calls her out, oh, you're in love with Hal, she like immediately goes back to being old. You know what I mean? Because she's not comfortable with that. So that's one of the biggest theories that people have is that it just kind of has to do with her own like confidence. Yeah. And um, like the the end version of Sophie that we get is like her younger body, but with like the silver hair, yeah. right? That's where it, it settles, which is kind of the both world you know both versions um in one but if you watch the film and you really like start trying to pay attention the animators put a lot of different character models out there for for sophie i mean also for how well that we can talk about it so i mean they really did because i but said there's, there's times where um, she's like fully hunched over and then like she's still old but she's standing up straighter like she's not that old yet you know like oh it's so good <laughs> yeah i was impressed with the care that was taken and and i think there's a lot that could be gained on like rewatching this 
in just paying attention to like when they allow oh yeah absolutely versions of her to be seen and like how 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 much of like the young versus the final version versus the very old version like how, you know how they're blending those yeah um, absolutely I, it, it's clearly done with care yeah <laughs> um, and and it definitely added to it um so as we get to the final version of sophie it's not so much that she has um gained attributes that she was lacking at the beginning it feels more like that she's able to express herself like like you said that's the confidence was maybe what was missing um in in that early version like i can't see the sophie that we have from the final act getting harassed by the soldiers and just standing there and taking it oh yeah no like she would be like excuse me like absolutely not this is not happening and it like yeah, said, so it, I, I think you like you know they said it's like she's always had it she just didn't feel comfortable using it. Yes. And there's an assertiveness that is gained throughout the story. Um, but like the the wit and the ingenuity that are on display, I think those she always had. Right. Oh, yeah. Our, I mean, even stuff that she said to like her sister before everything happened, you know, I mean, when she stood up, she stood up to the Witch of the Waste in grid, she didn't know she was a witch, but she did stand up to her when she entered, you know, the first enters the hat shop. And I mean, even immediately after she's cursed, like she's not like you know, I don't know. She's not super meek or anything. She's just kind of like, okay, stay calm. This is going to be fine. I'm going to figure like, this out. We can do this. Like, all right, let's do this. Like, it, I mean, so it's like, she's had it all along. She just didn't know what to do with it. And I think it's interesting that she is more at home, at least initially with, with the older body. Um, and I, I saw when I was looking up some of the trivia, I saw somewhere that like Miyazaki said, one thing that drew him to the story is that it presented aging positively like that you gain yeah as you age rather than the horror of what you lose as you age right um and i like once i saw that like a lot of things clicked and like oh okay yeah i obvious like it feels obvious once you say it hi ow uh that's one of the main it's great because i mean i mean you know she's young but you know she's she's when she gets transformed she's obviously an old woman like she's you know and she's the hero She's the hero of the story, and you don't often get, you know, a story where, you know, an older person or even, I mean, just in general, an older woman as the main character who's doing really awesome things. So I can, I, I definitely see that for sure. Yeah, um, I found, let's see, I, I this, at least this part is uh, um, from Wikipedia, and it says, Miyazaki stated that an attractive aspect of the story of Howl's Moving Castle was the relatively positive light it shed on growing old. When Sophie becomes old as a result of the witch's spell, she also feels more able to speak her mind. According to Miyazaki, old women are only infrequently allowed to dominate the screen, as in Howl's Moving Castle, which made it a risky concept. Um, and then that's more, yeah. um, some more about that. But yeah, it, it's definitely very very there is a theme and there's i mean there's a lot of themes that miyazaki plays with very frequently in his films so his love of flight um is is clearly here but also his kind of um like coupled with that love is also his uh concern about how flight gets used for war and destruction Um, yeah and that that's clearly here um you've got old people with large heads is here which he uses <laughs> oh, all the time it's like every like i'm thinking about it I'm like yeah spirited away castle in the sky like wow that's definitely a thing he does yeah um but i i really i uh, think he in this one he uh i mentioned it somewhat with the final image of the ship i love how he blends his love of nature and of flight and of technology like in a way that's not um 
some of his other works, it just feels like all technology is kind of problematic. And this one, like that, that's a very um, pastoral blending of industrialization and, and nature um, to see the way the, the, you know, the, the movie end the notes, the movie ends with. Um, the- it's uh it's great too. Cause I think it's a good mix, like a good way to show how Howl has changed too, because in the beginning his, his castle is very mechanical. It's, it's, it's a disaster. It's, you know, he doesn't care, you know, he, he, that's not what he cares for. Um, but at the end of the movie, he has his heart back. You know, he obviously, he cares for Sophie. He cares for Markle, like, you know, and, you can you can see that difference because the castle looks different. You know, it 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 is a nice blend of what he had before, but obviously, like you know, it's changed because he has Sophie now. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the other relationships change as well. So we've mentioned like how has this transformation, but his relationship with Calcifer is obviously going to be very different. Whereas there is this like heart transference bonding that is forcing them to be together. And Calcifer says, well, it forces me to work this. And he kind of seems, Billy Crystal does a great voice acting job. I want to say oh, Calcifer. Yeah. Like, fantastic. As, as a whiny demon, Billy Crystal nails it. <laughs> uh, and, and that, but, but then at the end, like Calcifer, like that bond is gone. Whatever, reason which is kind of left enigmatic and vague as to why the heart was given and why that forced him to be bonded and whether they wanted it or not that's all a little vague uh, but in the end it's clearly broken but calcifer chooses to come back um and, right and, and so now it's uh, not there are times where calcifer talks as though he's he's a forced servant right and 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 that the, the bond is only keeping them alive for some reason. But when he comes back, it's a friendship now. Like it's going to be yeah. a new and different relationship than what had existed before. Definitely. I think it's also, you know, he is, he's stuck. And I don't think he likes being stuck, but once he's, you know, free, so to speak, it's like, okay, I can do this as long as I'm not like forced to do it. You know, I do, I do care about you guys. I care about how I care about Sophie. I care, you know, I just don't want to be forced to do it. Yeah. Um, should we talk about, uh, before we get to how, should we talk a little bit about the Witch of the Waste, which is a great name. Witch of the Waste is such an, such an interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Just. Um, I struggled to figure out her motivations for a lot of what happens. Again, not I, I'm not saying that as like a nitpick. It's just she just is right. (laughs) She's just there. I just, I mean, I understand that. Like, I feel like her, her goal is, is to have young men and she's constantly talking about wanting their hearts. I've never been able to figure out if she wants them, like, like she wants them to adore her or she actually like physically. Because there are physical hearts hearts. that are being moved around in this story. (laughs) (laughs) And like I said, she figures out Calcifer is, is basically like, you know, in possession of Hal's heart, and she just goes for it. And it, I, I've never, I don't know. It, and the only thing I think of is, it's a source of her power, or she gets, she gets something from it. Yeah. Um, but so, okay. This, when we were mentioning like characters that have tra- changes, she also has a rather significant change. Where at the beginning, she's kind of this larger than life figure that has the um the, the the oil shadow creatures that carry her through what is that thing called the little carts that get you know the slaves carry people in old I get, movies i can't remember the name of the thing totally blinking out what they're called <laughs> a palanquin thank you <laughs> there we go there we go producer andrew <laughs> flying in with the word we were i would have never remembered that so good job um and <laughs> 
and she uh like wears these fancy dresses and big hats uh but then when she's going to the castle to see the not not house moving castle the palace to see the king um like she's answering that summon like on the one hand she feels like the a villain that's just out for herself but then she actually does answer the king's summons and it, you know that just adds this layer like what is her her role and like what is the relationship between the government and the magic users in this world it's all a little vague you just go with it yeah um but then she gets weakened and attacked and trapped uh and but then she joins Hal. whereas before it felt like she she's the one that put the curse on sophie again the reasoning why not hundred percent for me. Um, I always thought it was because it was right after she gets home from visiting her sister. Mm-hmm. And that's right after Hal saves her. Yes. And I think at that point she's, she wants Hal's heart. Like that's a, that's like her number one like priority. And so I think she, she puts a curse on Sophie cause she's like, Mm-mm, no, like that's not okay. Okay. That's the, I mean, that's kind of what I've got from it, but yeah, that works. For it's what, not really I think it's there actually. Yeah. yeah. So, so what I'm saying, like, I don't, I'm not quite sure her motivations. I don't fully feel it's clear why she curses Sophie. It's not fully clear why she answers the summons to the castle, nor is it really fully clear why she joins up with them and kind of becomes, I, I mean, I mean, like I said, a member of the fellowship, right? <laughs> she's uh, just kind of like passing by, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. She's got a lot more to do in the book than she does in the movie. And I, I feel like they felt like they couldn't really cut her, but in the movie they just give her so little of like what her story is. So it's like she's just kind of floating along, you know. Yeah. And she's she's great though. I mean, she's just a great character, but half the time it's like, why is she here? Like, what is she doing? Yes, great character design, great voice performance. I don't. I'm never like like saying why is she on the screen, but it's when I'm writing a plot summary. It's like, wow, but why did she? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but she the was there. She was there to put the curse on. Like that was her, like major thing. That was another great bit of animation. That was a uh, another like standout moment, um, for for playing with the angles and having that you know the the character come directly at the screen and all these things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she seems perfectly happy at the end, like sitting there in her older form, like her old age form after the, uh, her power has been taken from her. She yeah. seems so content sitting there and hanging out with, uh, with Markle and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the gang there on, on the new flagship. And it also, I, I think it's a testament to how swept up you get in the story. It feels like she belongs there. And, and I don't question it, uh, you know, in that final shot. It's, it, I mean, and it's so true because you go from, like you said, they're walking up the stairs to go see Madame Selwyn and Sophie's, you know, super like, just like, nope, like, like, take this off of me. I'm so over it. Like, and, and you're the enemy to like flying, the, you know, the little, you know, plane thing back to the castle and just being like, okay, I guess she's moving in. Like, just <laughs> no questions asked. No, like, I mean, just how comes home and he's like. Like, you know, wow, the Witch of the Waste is in my house. Like, okay, let's make more bedrooms. Like, what? <laughs> it's just never, like, really touched on. It's like, well, oh well, she's she's powerless anyway. I I do like the, okay, like you said, we're just going to make a new bedroom. Like, right. Okay. <laughs> and and it does, which, um, as someone who has remodeled a couple rooms at this point, I have to say that is a fantastic power for a structure to have. Right. Like, oh, I would love that. 
<laughs> There's a new room. Oh, <laughs> glorious. Um, all right. Uh, maybe let's talk about Markle just briefly and then uh, Howl a little bit more. Uh, sure. So Markle, I, one of my very f- favorite moments of the film is when Sophie, as the old woman, is first in the castle. And there's a magical door that can open to different places. And there's a knock on the magical door. And this little boy says, hold on. And like, he's not explaining anything. He just grabs a rope, throws it (laughs) over himself. And it gives him, he's the same height, but now he has a massive beard. And he goes down to the door. And it's still clearly a young child being the voice actor, but doing an old man voice. Oh, yeah. Trying to lower his voice. Oh, good. (laughs) And he answers the door as though he's this respectable adult. And like, he gets a message for his master from a city, from the mayor. It's from the mayor of the city, right? I think it's like for, from the king. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, yes, I'll deliver the message. And he closes the door and then, you know, it knocks again and he opens it and it's a little girl. And she's like, I, I need, I need some, this magical thing. He's like, okay, come inside. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Markle with the, the cloak and this beard is one of my favorite little character moments. It's only there for that one scene, I think. Is, is yeah. It? Uh, it he, just- he does it a couple other times, but he doesn't like, like when they go to the market oh, right, and they're yeah. buying stuff mm-hmm. and he's like, I hate potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> It's so, and it's great because uh, the 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 actor who does the voice for Markle is Josh Hutcherson, so from like Hunger Games and that kind of thing. And he's just, it's you know, when he was like I don't know, ten, twelve, yeah. maybe something like that. And he does such a good job with it. Like, so it's not a big part, but it's so fun. It's just so fun. And something about that cloak giving the little kid a giant beard. <laughs> and like no one questions it. Everyone's just like, oh, he's just really short. We just don't talk about it because he's really sensitive about it. Like, just. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I think uh, just just talking through this, and there's uh, so many things that, like, like we said, like don't quite make sense. Particularly when you have to write a summary, it's like, ah, did, did, did that all connect? Um, I think it says something about the power of just telling the story and going forward. Um, I, I don't know if it's in something with the age, uh, like the the modern age of fandom on the internet, where people pick everything apart. Where it feels like sometimes we get more explanations than we need in some stories. Where like sure. they there's a hyper concern about um, explaining every reference and like circling back and making sure that everything hooks back on. And if you, if you, every character needs a backstory and yeah. Yes. And this film just kind of says, we're just going forward. It's a weird world. guys. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And there's weird characters in it and not everything's going to make sense. And there's, uh, I think there's something freeing and just saying, we're just doing it guys. We're we're just telling this story. And they do it so well. You don't even like, I mean, like I said, when you're writing a summary, sure, but like you watch it and I've watched it, I mean, just hundreds of times and I watch it and I never stop to be like, hmm, like that doesn't make sense. It's just, it's so good that you're just like, all right, I'm, I'm along. You got me. Like I'm in. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I kind of love it for that. <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of abandon of we're, we're just carrying on and the kid's got a cloak that gives him a beard. We're not going to tell you the secret origin of the cloak or, you know, who handed it down from what family line, you know, or any of these things. Right. Just, like, or where he came from. Like he just lives with this like wizard in the middle, you know, of nowhere. He's a, he's a kid. Like where are his parents? Like, you know, they don't answer any of that, but it's, it's totally okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, last character that we haven't touched on as much is Hal himself, who is so enigmatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to get a handle on how um, but i do want to shout out christian bale's voice acting i oh yeah i didn't know it was christian bale uh oh, until yeah. i was looking it up because he 
he does some stuff with his voice that uh that that transforms it. I mean, clearly yeah. he can physically transform himself for his roles. He has proved that over and over again. Yes, yes, he has. He's he's also doing it with his voice here, which I mean, speak of his voice, it always weirds me out a little bit when I hear him speak like in interviews in his actual voice with his real Welsh accent. Yes, uh, yeah, because he has like he has an accent, right? Yeah, yeah, he's Welsh, and uh, you, I've seen him in so many American roles that I don't right. think of him uh, that way, and I certainly don't hear uh, Christian Bale in this performance now. Uh, so respect to his voice acting skills as well as his award winning physical acting skills that we see <laughs> um if I, I mean again i played the game at the beginning of like if you could try and describe sophie in a few words if you're going to try and describe howl in a few words i mean it is his movie castle his oh, name is the goodness. one that's in the title <laughs> how, how can you describe this character i mean there's just so much to howl like he is he is one of a kind. Like he's, oh, he's Howl. He's <laughs> goodness. I never thought that he's cocky, and he's. I love that he's. He, you know, he puts a lot on his shoulders. You know, like you know, he puts so much response, but he's also like a total child. Yeah. You know, he his his castle is a disaster and like he cries over his hair products and like <laughs> one minute like you're like this guy's gonna save the world the next minute you're like whoa he's having a tantrum like a three-year-old right now like yeah he's one of a kind yeah and, and there's like um in some of the other interesting contradictions so like you said he's really confident and you feel like he could save everything but he can't keep a house like, um, <laughs> at all uh no you know no sense of, of personal responsibility there but i think there's also this um interesting kind of um selfishness where it's like what i want to do is what i'm going to do but there's also the selflessness in that where like what i want to do right now is go turn into a bird and save the world for a little while <laughs> and, but i'm not I'm not going to explain my actions, which is kind of rude and again, selfish. I'm just going to go do what I want to do um, side of it. But what you're doing is kind of selfless at the same time. Uh, and yeah, like there's just um, a whole lot there and not all it fits together in a smooth way. Right. Like it's like, Oh, this is a clean right. polished character. It, there's a lot of rough edges when you try and uh, describe these. And a lot of those rough edges actually kind of clash against each other in a way that it makes how really interesting. I think it's a it's a it's an interesting comparison when you like compare him to Sophie because it looks like Sophie is having the biggest transformation, but I think that's because a lot of it is like the physical transformation. But like we said earlier, I think she's she's had it all along. It's just her figuring it out. It's there. Where I think Hal is more like he has no idea, and he's kind of just making it up day by day. Today I'm a hero. Tomorrow I'm you know, flirting with girls uh, tomorrow. Who knows when I'm going to do that? Like he, he's just his reputation of- at the beginning of the film. When um, Sophie talks to it's her sister, right? Where she, she says like, Hal saved me. Um, and like the reputation is, well, Hal just steals girls hearts. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. his thing is like, he, he, he's kind of that like dangerous, you know, um, like bad boy. Cause the girls are like, you know, that no, we can't go near him. He'll steal our hearts, but it's kind of that like intriguing, but like, I want to find out like what this is about too. You know, like he definitely has a very like um, infamous reputation with the ladies and half of them have never even seen him, you know? Um, and may not have even known it if they did, because he, 
he does the chameleon like thing where every scene it seems like he has different hair color different hair length (laughs) (laughs) different body type sometimes he's like super scrawny and and spindly almost i mean he's always has like a live appearance right like um He's not right. bulky and, and muscular the way like some anime characters are, uh, or, or, or um, but he's his appearance just changes wildly. I guess is, is all I'm trying to say here. I like the way they portray him though, because like you said, he's he's not like bulky or you know, like I said, like a lot of anime you know characters characters tend to be is you know they're big, they're strong. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of like you know the guys in like Dragon Ball Z and stuff. They're like massive, and he's. I don't know. He's he's very. I, I hesitate to say feminine because I don't like using that, but like, you know, they really just give him a lot of like characteristics that you wouldn't normally see for someone you're supposed to see as kind of this like strong wizard character, but it works so well. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. Um, and uh, I, I think one of the strengths of this film uh, is this combination of design and performance and story and writing, you know, like it all does come together where, um, and some of this may be, uh, I mean, almost the auteur theory where like so much of this is Miyazaki's vision of, of these characters are being translated because like you said, he was so heavily involved in the animation at this point. He was the director. He did write this. Um, yeah. It, you know, the, the, that even though it feels like some of these things, shouldn't necessarily fit together and work with that confident hand and competent hand. Uh, it, it somehow does, you know, it all comes together. Yeah. Um, what I, I know this was based on a trilogy of books. Is that right? Uh, so, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So I know there is something else if you want to go read the books, but at the end of the story, when we have, Hal and Sophie and this new, you know, gang of friends. What do you think is next? Like, what what is their role in the world? Like, what are they actually going to be doing next at this point? Because it seems like um, both for Hal and Sophie, they've kind of found themselves, right? Because because at a certain point, doesn't Hal have the line where he's like, "Now I know what I'm fighting for," or something along those lines? Yeah. Like, he, yeah, he was always powerful and he was always doing stuff, but it seems like maybe he didn't quite understand, know why, <laughs> you know? Like he did it because he could, but not like he didn't really have a reason behind it. It was like, well, I mean, I have the powers, so I might as well, but he didn't have like a, like a, you know, a passion for doing it or a reason to do it. It was just kind of like, I mean, I'm here, so might as well. But now with Sophie and his love of her and his desire to protect her, like he has a new mission during the war. Like I'm going to protect everyone that can, you know, uh, during, yeah. during this war. Um, but as they're sailing off, like what, what do you see if, if you uh, like that? There's not going to be a sequel to this film at this point. I don't think. Mm, yeah. Uh, I would <laughs> highly doubt it. Yeah. Um, but, but like, where, where do you think they're flying off to? I, it's, it's kind of interesting. Cause like you said, they, they come into this, you know, into themselves, into this bigger responsibility. And, so part of me thinks like, okay, they're going to make, you know, cause Hal doesn't like what Madame Solomon is doing with, with, with children who are learning magic. You know, he doesn't like that. She builds him up kind of as an army and doesn't really teach him much other than that. And so you kind of want to like, think that like, I don't know, the two of them are going to make a school together. They're going to teach little wizards or I don't know. Yeah. But part of me just thinks that they're kind of like, I think we did our part. We stopped a war. <laughs> I think we're just going to write off. You know what I mean? Like we're good. Like we're just, 
I don't know. I get I get both of the senses. Like they're, they're just kind of like they're happy they did their part. You can just kind of leave us alone now. Thank you. Yeah, um, we're, we're going to go wander around. Maybe if we see an emergency, we can step in right. uh, and help with that. Um, well, and I mean, again, I, I just love the transformation that we see at the end of the castle itself, the physicality from yeah. where we first see it, where it's super industrial and um, there's steam and pollution coming off of it and everything is dirty and, and broken and falling apart. And then when you go inside of it, it's all dirty. And it begins with Sophie, you know, just cleaning up the place actually starts to transform it. But then when it literally falls apart and then gets remade, this new version, like we said, has um, combined the wonder of flight and technology and magic uh, with the natural wonder of, of just nature and life. All right. Um, And, and so in some ways I kind of feel like, okay, we, we've stopped the war and brought peace. I I feel like maybe they're going to like, as they're going out, they're going to be helping to, combine some of the best parts of modern the, the modern world around them in this this right. kind of steampunky country world uh that they're living in with the best parts that maybe they overrun a little bit in, in right. their quest for development and for magic you know these, these two things and it again the like the relationship between industrialization and magic and government versus nature it's all implied more than like dwelt on or explained um in in depth in, the, in this film but i feel like there's an imbalance there that they could be rectifying a bit. Right. I mean, it, it's also, I mean, it's hard to say like, you know, what's going to happen. Cause I've, I've read the books, but yeah. <laughs> it, they do a good job of kind of like, like I said, just leaving it of, of, of what is going to happen next because they're not the main characters of the next book. So it works really nicely that way. So yeah. they do a good job with it, but I highly doubt they'll make um, a sequel. It's been no, I, quite I, a while. I would not anticipate it at all. Um, this, the second book in that series too is called Castle in the Air, and he already made a movie called Castle in the Sky that's like <laughs> has nothing to do with you know like they're completely different stories. So that would be really confusing. Yeah, um, and he's retired about four times I think at this point. So, um, but he has I think him and his son are mo- working on a movie right now that's supposed right. to come out like in his retirement. Yeah, that is what his retirement looks like. <laughs> he's like in his eighties, right? And I'm like, he's never gonna stop. He's just like, nope, I love what I do. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love it. If this is bringing him joy, please keep making these movies. That's oh, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> but if this is a grind, go enjoy. Like, you've earned your relaxation. And, and your, you can, I feel like he, like he retires and he's like, I'm bored. <laughs> like, this is boring. <laughs> like, bring me back. What, what do we got on the table? Let's do this. Um, so for this film, for, uh, Howl's Moving Castle, are there any other themes that you see in it that you wanted to make sure we touch on as, as we're, uh, kind of heading towards the end of this discussion? It was funny cause, um, we mentioned it kind of earlier and I remember like the connection of it, um, you know, how it was nominated for best animated, fi- you know, feature, but it lost and it did so well in Japan. And I think a big reason why it didn't, you know, it's not one of the like most well-known ones over here. Um, is that it didn't do well over here at first um, because it, like I said, it was very anti-war and it was um, when he was promoting this movie he was he was you know very much vocal about the fact that it was anti-war and very much um, vocal about it was kind of his like anger fuel at you know like the United States at the time well we didn't take that quite well so it didn't do well over here and it's really only done well kind of over the last like decade you know later um 
that people have kind of been going back and discovering it and being like, wow, this movie is amazing. Like, where has this been the whole time? And um, I feel like I just it think was it's interesting because it's, I mean, it's, it is so anti-war, but I just think his own personal, like saying like that it fueled what he was feeling, you know? Right. Um, I feel like the one that really broke out for American audiences was Spirited Away, which was before this one, right? That was 2001, yes. if I'm remembering right from when we yeah. did that discussion. Um, and then I know he had other films that had, he'd done before Spirited Away that kind of got dubbed and released here. Like I think Princess Mononoke was a pre-Spirited Away that got a release after yeah. Spirited Away for American audiences or, or penetrated American audiences more. Um, yeah, Totoro was like 1989, but it was put out here in like... I don't know, late nineties, early two thousands, um, when it was uh dubbed over and that got really popular. Obviously it's like one of the big ones. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, w- I guess be- because Spirit Away had already, um, been championed, uh, f- for American release, I think by, uh, well now problematic figure, John Lasseter, I think there's a groundswell of interest in Miyazaki, and, and so it, seeing that it hadn't done as well, it, it was interesting to me, but positioning it in 2004, uh, you know, that post 9-11 right. uh, period and and some of the, like you said, the the most overt, not just the themes of the film, but how overt Miyazaki wasn't talking about them. In, right. It, uh, like you said, maybe didn't land as well um, with, with American <laughs> audiences there. Uh, it, uh, let's see, anything else that kind of stood out for you uh, thematically? Um, it's funny. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, I remember more than a couple years ago, someone's like, you love that movie, but you don't, you don't really like steampunk. And it's true. I'm not, I'm not a big steampunk fan. I've, I've, I've never like been drawn to stories. Of that, and I'm, and I, it's the first time I stepped back and went, oh yeah, I guess it is kind of steampunk. Like I get so involved in the romance of the story and the magic of the story that like, I do see the steampunk in you know, the warships and I mean, the castle itself, but it, the story is just so good that sometimes you just, it, the rest of it just kind of blends away. And I think that's, it's, he just did such a great job with the story itself. Yeah. And, um, I, I think the steampunkiness can just get lost in the surrealness more. Like, like, right. like the steampunk is some of that aesthetic is there, but it's not like the aesthetic is the reason for the story, which some steampunk stories really, right push the steampunk elements on right. you um it a seems lot. more like it's just... like a like a fad like they're just really into steampunk right now or something like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and for, and for this one it's more like well in this world of magic and technology some of it is weird lumbering castles that walk right. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i was so i just was glancing um on the Wikipedia page at the end, they have the critical response. And, you know, we, I, I noted that it has 87% approval, but they do um, aggregate some of the negative commentary uh, about it. So I was just wondering what it was. Um, and so Jonathan Trout of the BBC said, youngsters and Miyazaki fans will coo at the world's depth and rich sur- surreality, but opaque plotting and tendency to mope with Sophie whilst Hal goes off to affect events, lets the momentum, uh, you know, fade. Um and and so so some of it is kind of what we said. If you're not getting swept up in the plot, and you're actually like as you're watching it, you're just trying to figure out the plot. It seems that's the issue with some of these. Like <laughs> uh, Stephen Hunter from the Washington Post says, "There's no story, or no force of story. It just meanders casually this way and that for no apparent reason." Um, but I, for me, 
I, I, I that wasn't standing out as I was watching. It, it was just kind of like, oh man, just look at this. Just look at this. And um, I was so also enjoying the performances of like Billy Crystal as Calcifer. Like he's a shot of energy <laughs> anytime he comes so in. So great. May all your baking burn. <laughs> that, I mean, just he's got great lines. I mean, he's just got just oh, great, great lines. <laughs> um, you know that that all those positives almost didn't let me worry about does this plot make sense until I was having to write the summary for this. And that's when I, I had some of the questions that I did. Uh, so for me, not, not a concern. I would definitely still give this a very positive review. It's funny too. Cause it's, it's, I feel like if you really watch a, like a fair amount of his movies, you would kind of get the same idea. Like my neighbor Totoro does not have a plot. Like if you really, uh, spirited, I, away. <laughs> spirited away is I mean, just all, I mean, I don't think his movies are about like this concrete, you know, beginning, middle, end. It's, it's all about every character's motivations. Yeah. It's just about, I mean, he just creates beautiful movies. Like he's not there to, you know, to make you, I don't know, to, to write a story that you're just like dissecting and, you know, thinking really hard about like, no, just, just enjoy it. His movies are just meant to like be enjoyed. Yeah. Like if you want hard science fiction explanations for the the you know the the machinery in his world i'm sorry you're, you're not getting them like it's not happening. you're not gonna get that he drew it that way because it looked cool and it looked awesome and it looked beautiful and that's your answer you know and, and he was right on every one of those looks cool beautiful and awesome yes yeah yep. check, check, check. <laughs> <laughs> all right well any final thoughts about sophie uh the character or the story from house moving castle sarah I mean, it's just, it's one of my favorite movies. I said, I've got my, my calcifer tattoo. Um, I, I can't even, the copy I own is the second copy that I own. Cause I wore out the first one so much that I had to rebuy my copy. So I me, mean, I just, I love Miyazaki in general, but I think this is one that not a lot of people tend to go and see. And I, I hope more people do. Cause it's just, it's such a good movie. Yes, I definitely give a recommendation. I don't think it was streaming on, at least on Netflix or Amazon no. Prime when I looked, but uh, it, it is definitely prominent enough that a lot of libraries will, will have it if you're looking for a place where you can get it. I would think most, yeah, definitely. most libraries would have a good Miyazaki selection at this point. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 29, when we talked about another Miyazaki film, Spirited Away, or episode number 206, when Sarah joined us to talk about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod at Jay Dorowski and our producer Andrew is at Diz Minute and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We enjoy our conversations uh, there with our listeners. And Sarah, you also have um, an active social media presence and a blog, correct? Yes, I am. So you can find me at um, whatanerdgirlsays.org and then pretty much every social media site out there is going to be whatanerdgirlsays. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Sarah. Absolutely. Uh, For listeners, if you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we will be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. 
real quick, I just remembered I got to put possible recommendations, which should be the last episode you were on. This is for our outro, so we won't get to it for an hour, but I always forget to do it, and uh, it's an awkward moment when Andrew realizes he's going to have to edit <laughs> around that. <laughs>